0: SECTION 3 OF BUFF, A COLLIE, AND OTHER STORIES This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckel BUFF, A COLLIE, AND OTHER DOG STORIES BY ALBERT PACE AND TERHUNE BUFF, A COLLIE, THE HUNT IS UP, PART 1 Michael Trent stood knee-deep in a grey-white drift that eddied and surged about him in tumultuous soft waves, almost threatening to engulf him. The grey-white drip filled the tiny field in whose centre Trent was standing. Its ragged edges were spilling in irregular driblets into the adjoining fields and the road, scattering thence athwart the near countryside. To descend to bare fact, Michael Trent was in the middle of a milling and unruly flock of merino sheep, and he was, incidentally, in more or less of a fix. Of these sheep, seventy had belonged to his farm for months, and he had just added to them two additional flocks, new-bought, of thirty and of twenty-five each making a grand total of one hundred twenty-five this morning he had undertaken to pasture the three groups together in a single paddock field while he should assort from the full flock a detachment of forty which he planned to drive to boon lake the following morning for the rural metropolis monthly market day it had seemed a simple thing this opening of the gates from two fields and driving into a third field the occupants of the other two So simple had it appeared that Trent had not even enlisted the services of his beautiful collie, Buff, in the petty task. Buff had been sent a half hour earlier to drive the farm's little bunch of cattle to the forest pasture a mile to the east, and he was not yet back. Trent had not bothered to wait for the collie's return before herding the three flocks of sheep into one. He had merely opened the gates leading into the central field where were pastured his original flock, and driven the newer occupants of those two fields into the middle one. The trouble had set in, as trouble is forever waiting to do, where sheep are concerned. One of the two new flocks had stampeded, at sight and scent, of the strange flocks and of the still more strange man. The stampeding flock had ploughed straight into and through the thick of the others, jostling and shoving them roughly, and communicating to them the stampede impulse. That had been quite enough, and all at once there were a hundred and twenty-five crazy sheep surging around Trent, and radiating away in every direction their fear-driven bodies had found a weak panel in the hurdle fence that bordered the road down flapped the hurdle and through the gap the nearest sheep began to dribble the remainder were in great and ever-increasing danger of injury from the mad plungings of their companions another accidental shove had loosed the half-fastened latch on the centre-field gate which trent had neglected to clamp when he came into the paddock and another leakage seeped out through that opening helpless wrathful trent waded through the turmoil trying in vain to restore quiet and to make his way to one or both of the apertures before a wholesale stampede should empty the field through gate or hurdle bruising and perhaps killing some of the weaker sheep against the sides of the gap in his extremity the farmer put his fingers to his lips and sent forth a whistle agonizingly piercing and shrill then he turned back to his futile labours of calming the stampede because he turned back thus he missed a sight really worth seeing over the brow of a ridge across the winding high road flashed a tawny and white shape that was silhouetted for an instant in the pulsing skyline the shape of a large collie running as no dog but a collie or a greyhound can run close to earth in his sweeping stride buff was coming at full speed in response to the far heard whistle As he breasted the ridge crest, the dog took in the scene below him in a single glance. He saw the milling and straggling sheep, and his distracted master in the centre of the panic throng. Thus he did not wait as usual for the signals Trent had taught him in working sheep. Instead, he went into action on his own account. Through the waves of greyish-white, a tawny and wedge-shaped head clove its way at express train speed. With seeming aimlessness, Buck swirled through the mass, shearing now to the right, now to the left now wheeling, now halting with a menace of thundering barks. Yet not one move was thrown away, not one step was without definite purpose. As by miracle the charging sheep began to shape up, in the field's centre, and while they were still following this centrifugal impulse, Buff was gone from among them. Out into the high road he flew, not waiting to find either of the openings, but taking the tall hurdles in his stride and in another second or so he had caught up with the rearmost of the stragglers had passed it and flashed on toward the more distant strays before the sheep in the paddock had shaken off their buff given impulse to crowd to the centre of the enclosure the collie had rounded up the scampering and bleating strays and was driving them in a reluctant huddle through the gateway and in among their fellows once more then without resting he swung shut the gate an easy trick long since taught to him as to many another working collie and was guarding with his body the gap made by the overset hurdle. Trent ran up, fixed the hurdle in place, and then turned to pet and praise his exultant dog. Buff, he declared, taking the collie's fluffy head between his two gnarled hands, you're worth ten times your weight in hired men, and you're the best side partner and chum a lonely chap ever had. Buff grinned, licked his master's hand in quick friendliness, then lay down at Trent's feet for an instant's rest and for the thousandth time in the past three years the man noted something in the collie's pose that baffled him for though buff was lying upright and not on his side both hind legs were stretched straight out behind him normally no collie lies thus nor does any other canine that is not the possessor of a strong strain of bulldog it was buff's favourite posture and buff had every point of a purebred collie indeed of the highest type of show collie The man's bewilderment was roused, thus, from time to time, by the dog's various bulldog traits, such as lying with hind legs out behind him, or of holding a grip with the grim stubbornness of a pit-terrier rather than with the fiery dash of a true collie, or of diving for the heels of a driven cattle instead of her nose and ear. Waiting only for a moment while Buff was breathing himself after his hard run across the country, and his harder rounding up of the flock. "'Trent chirped to the collie and prepared to shut the two new consignments of merinos back in their respective pens. "'The mingling of the three flocks had been a mistake. "'Until their forthcoming drive to market, the three bunches would fare better among their own acquaintances than among strange sheep. "'But the task was no easy one. "'To a casual eye all the milling sheep looked just alike. "'Trent could distinguish by his personal red mark his original flock, "'but the two sets of strangers were unmarked, wherefore his chirp to buff.' The moment the collie was made to see what was required of him, he was in the thick of the jostling turmoil again, flashing in and out like a streak of tawny fire, seeming to have no objective but to be scampering without any special purpose. Yet within fifty seconds he had headed a scared sheep through the gateway into the right paddock, where stood his master, then another, and yet another sheep. Then a huddled half-dozen of them cantered bleedingly into the paddock. While Trent looked on in wonder, Buff proceeded to segregate, until the entire twenty-five that belonged in this particular field were back within its boundaries. Trent shifted to the opposite paddock, whence he had turned the second flock of thirty into the central enclosure, and here Buff repeated his unerring performance. Though Trent was filled with amazed admiration at his pet's discernment, yet he recognized there was nothing miraculous in it, Buff had herded both these new flocks into the pastures at least three times before, on their way from pasture, during the few days Trent had owned them, He had become familiar with their scents and their separate identities after the uncanny fashion of the best sort of working collie. As the job ended and Trent started homeward, with Buff trotting chummily beside him, a slender black saddle-horse came single-footing around the bend of the road between the paddocks and the farmhouse. Astride the black sat a figure as slender and high-bred as the mount's own. The rider was a girl of perhaps twenty, clad in crash and booted, At sight of the man in the collie, she waved her crop gaily at them and put her horse to a lope by a shift of the snapple-rein. Trent's bronzed face went red with surprised pleasure at the equestrian vision bearing down on him. Buff, after a single doubtful glance, recognized horse and rider and set off at a run to welcome them. "'Why, I didn't know you were at home yet, Ruth!' exclaimed Trent, reaching up to take the gauntleted little hand extended to greet him. "'Your father said you'd be in the city another month. "'I saw him at the store last evening, and he said—' yes she interrupted i know he hadn't caught my telegram then aunt hester had to go out west to take care of her son my cousin dick clinton you remember he has a ranch in idaho she had a letter from him yesterday morning saying he'd broken his leg so she packed up right away and took the night train west and i came home oh said trent in an effort at sympathy and you had to cut your visit in half what a shame no she denied guiltily it wasn't a shame it was a blessing I oughtn't to say so, but it was. She did everything to give me a good time, and I enjoyed it, too, ever so much. But all the while I was homesick for these dear hills, and I'm so glad to get back to them. It's queer, she added, how I've grown to love the Boone Lake region, when Dad and I have lived here barely eighteen months. Eighteen months and nine days, gravely corrected Trent. I remember. I had gone to town that evening to get the mail, and when I passed by the old Brander house I saw lights in it. At the post office they told me a New York man and his daughter, some people named Hammerton, had moved in that day, and that they had come here for Mr. Hammerton's health. It wasn't more than a week, just six days to be exact, after that, when your father stopped here to ask me about the commission people I was dealing with in the city. He spent the morning, and he asked me to come and see him. It was the next evening I called. That was when I met you. So do you keep a diary she asked in an amusement that seemed tinged with embarrassment or have you a genius for remembering dates and pursued trent it was just sixteen days after that when we went horseback riding the first time it it may be a bit of silly superstition he went on reluctantly but i've always dated the start of this farm toward real success from the time you people moved to boone lake ever since then i've prospered Another six months will find me in shape to install the last lot of up-to-date machinery and to take over that eighty-acre tract of holdings that I've got the option on. Then I can begin to call my soul my own and live like real people. And the first day I can do that, I'm going to put my whole fortune and my life, too, to the biggest test in the world, a test I hadn't any right to put it to while I was staggering along on the edge of bankruptcy and with the future all so hazy. In six months I'll be able to ask a question that will show me whether all my luck is dead sea-fruit, or—or the greatest thing that ever happened. He talked on, ramblingly, with an effort at unconcern, avoiding her eyes. But his gaze was on her little gloved hand as it lay athwart the horse's mane, and he saw it tremble and clench. Trent was half glad, half frightened, that she had caught the drift of his blundering words. Before he could continue, Buff created a diversion— by routing a large and terrified rabbit out of a fence corner and charging down the road toward them in noisy pursuit of his prey. Bunny fled in blind panic, straight between the nervous horse's forefeet. The mount snorted and reared. As Ruth skillfully mastered the plunging steed, Trent caught the bridle close to the bit, and at the same time whistled Buff to heel. Unwillingly, but instantly, the collie abandoned his delightful chase and trotted obediently back to his master. Don't scold him, begged Ruth. It wasn't his fault. "'I'm not going to scold him,' laughed Trent, ruffling the dog's ears. "'It's many a long month since Buff needed a scolding. "'He didn't drive the rabbit this way. "'The rabbit drove itself before Buff could choose the direction. He, "'Buff is splendid protection for you, isn't he?' she broke in, "'a tinge of nervousness in her soft voice. "'Why, personally, I don't stand in great need of protection,' he smiled. "'I'm not exactly a timid little flower, "'but he protects the farm and the house and the livestock "'as efficiently as a machine-gun company could.' "'He's a born watchdog.' "'Buff, realizing he was under discussion, "'sat down in the road between the man and the girl. "'He was wriggling with self-consciousness "'and fanning the dust into a little whirlwind "'with the lightning sweeps of his plumy tail "'as he grinned expectantly from one to the other of the speakers. "'But the collie's grin found no answer "'on Ruth Hammerton's flower-tinted face. "'The girl's eyes had grown grave, "'and there was a tinge of uneasiness in them. "'I hope you're right,' she began, hesitantly, "'in saying you don't need any protection.' and probably unfoolish but that's why i rode out here this morning to protect me he asked quizzically yet perplexed at her new bearing to risk your thinking me impertinent she evaded by mixing into something that doesn't concern me anything that concerns me he said as she hesitated again concerns you too so far as you'll let it what's the matter she drew a long breath knit her dark brows and plunged into the distasteful mission that had brought her to the trent farm In the first place, she began, do you know two men, named Con Hagen and Billy Gates? In stark surprise, Trent stared up at her. Why, yes, he made answer. Of course I do. I have good reason to know them. I've told you the story. I told it to your father, too, before I accepted his invitation to come and see him. They were the two men I found in my kitchen when I— Yes, yes, she interposed hastily, as though trying to shield him from memories that must be painful. I know. Of course, I remember. But— "'But you never told me their names. "'I'm certain you didn't, "'or they'd have been familiar to me "'when I heard them this morning.' "'This morning?' echoed Trent, puzzled. "'I don't... "'I was at the store doing the marketing,' she explained. "'Some men were loafing on the steps "'just outside the window, "'and one of them said, "'A fellow from down Logan Way "'told me just now that Con Hagen and Billy Gates "'are due to be turned loose tomorrow. "'And one of the other men said, "'Then Trent had better hire a special cop "'and take out another life insurance policy.' both of em swore they'd get him if they was to go to the chair for it and that's one kind of an oath neither of em's liable to break i wouldn't like to be in his shoes just now that was all i could hear but it worried me i didn't associate the names with those men you had told me about perhaps because the phrase "turned loose didn't mean anything to me but i came out here to tell you just the same it wasn't so much what the fellow on the doorstep said as the scared way he said it that frightened me "'Oh, is there any real danger of—' "'Nonsense,' laughed Trent. "'There's no danger at all, "'and you're not to give the matter another minute of your precious thought. "'But it was bully of you to come out here and warn me, "'to care enough to—' "'You're making light of it, "'just to make me stop worrying,' she accused. "'I know you are. "'Won't you please notify the police about their threat? "'Won't you go armed? "'Won't you lock your house ever so carefully, "'and keep indoors after dark, and—' "'And wear warm flannels next to my skin all summer?' "'supplemented Trent with vast solemnity, "'and carry an umbrella and wear rubbers "'if the day is at all stormy, "'and stop,' she commanded, "'a hint of tears in her troubled young voice. "'You're making fun of me.' "'Heaven forbid,' he disclaimed piously. "'You are,' she accused, "'and you're doing it to lead me to think "'you aren't in any danger so that I won't worry. "'But there is danger, and I know it. "'I'm positive of it now that you've told me "'who those men really are. "'Oh, can't you—' "'Listen,' he begged, You're getting all wrought up over nothing, Ruth. It's wonderful to have you bother your head over my safety, but I am not going to let you do it. Here's the idea. Hagen and Gates belonged to the Riverside gang over in South Boone. The gang was cleared out some years ago. Some of its members went to jail. The police had nothing definite on those two, so they let them alone. They picked up a living by their wits as semi-stationary tramps, and they kept their petty thefts from being found out. Then, when they'd sent me to prison, they'd had it in for me ever since the time I caught them near my hen roost and ordered them off my land, to the accomplishment of a stray kick or so, they went into the business on a larger scale, using my house as a place to store their plunder and to hide out in, when the neighbors might be suspecting them of a share in the robberies. When Buff and I collared them, they went all to pieces and confessed everything, just as I told you before." now i leave it to you if two such pitifully cowardly sneak thieves are likely to risk another jail sentence by trying to harm me it's ridiculous just the same i'm as much your debtor for warning me as if the danger were real ruth had dismounted during the talk now turning to the horse she prepared to get into the saddle once more but first she bent down and laid her soft cheek against the delighted buff's head under cover of the collie's glad whimper of friendliness she whispered very low Take care of him, Buff. Oh, take care of him for me. Then, with assumed lightness, she said, as Trent lifted her to the saddle, Probably you're right, but it didn't do any harm to warn you. I'm sorry if I've seemed foolish. Good-bye. The little black horse cantered away. Michael, Trent, and Buff stood in the middle of the road, watching the girl out of sight. Then Trent turned slowly to his chum. Buff, old man, said he, we made a good bluff of it just now, you and I all the same it's up to us both to keep our eyes open for a while hagan and gates were soaked with cheap whisky and sodden and jumpy after a week's carouse when the chief of police sweated them and he sure did sweat them good and hard it smashed their nerve because they were in prime shape to have it smashed and that's how he got them to go all to pieces and confess that and the goods he found on them and besides he told each of them separately that the other one had squealed and made them sore at each other that way but it wasn't like either Gates or Hagen to give in. When they were normal, they were as tough a pair of birds as I cared to see. They've had nearly three years to sober up in and get back their nerve by hard work and plain food and no drink, Buff. And unless I've got them both sized up all wrong, they've been spending most of that three years in planning how to get back at the man who spoiled their game and thrashed them hard and got them put away. They've had plenty of time to store up venom, Buff, and plenty of venom to store up, "'Yes, and a good alibi, too, to clear them if anything happens to me. "'Buff, we aren't going to be fools enough to worry, but we'll keep awake just the same. "'And, Lord, but wasn't it glorious of her to care enough about me to come way out here and warn me? "'Buff, she knew what I meant, too, when I told her about having the right pretty soon to ask a question. "'I wonder if I'm pig-headed not to have asked it long ago, "'instead of waiting till I had something beside my measly self to offer.' during his mumbled address to the wistfully listening dog he had been moving homeward now standing on his neat porch the man looked about him over his well-kept farm and its trim buildings with a little throb of pride as he contrasted it with the way the home had looked on his return from prison three years earlier the world all at once seemed to him a wonderful place to live in and life seemed unbelievably sweet his glance strayed down the long yellow road toward the old brander place and his lean face softened With a glow that transfigured it. End of section three.